From the Transverse Network, this is The Transgender Show, an interview program about gender discovery and self-acceptance. I'm your host, Emily. This week on the show is IT executive, photographer, and Instagram influencer, Andy. You've got a lot of fans on Instagram, and I think most of them know you because of your phenomenal makeup and uh, and nails skills there. I do tend to play around with it, and it's been something that started long before I transitioned. I had always been fascinated by the, I guess it's just the ability of cis women to walk around and just wear makeup and not have any judgment on them. And it, it used to drive me crazy, and I would love to go home and like practice some different cut crease looks and different things at night. I was on the road a lot halfway around the world and sometimes I would bring some makeup with me and practice when I was alone in the hotel room because there's not a whole lot to do over there late at night so I had a lot of fun with it it's been it's been a really fun journey and the Instagram thing has been really exciting because I get to talk about a lot of great stuff that uh that interests a lot of folks in the trans community and there's so much feedback on there it's just wonderful engaging with so many people that's wonderful yeah I I, I think it's great that we were able to build this community and interact with people. And one of the things that you mentioned in our pre-interview that I, I liked that you said uh, about having your own Instagram following is how you get to talk about what you want to talk about. It's true. I, you know, as every day passes, I, I take a look at really transcentric news and uh, anything that might affect the community, whether it be, you know, Supreme Court rulings or even district court rulings, anything of that nature. And then any sort of special cases or anything that came out that that maybe folks would be interested in. And I'll take those and, and sometimes run with it. Um, but I've got sort of a running list that I keep in OneNote. And it's just line by line. As, as I think of something like, man, that would be really cool to talk about one day. I'll jot that down. And, and I've got, you know, five or six topics on there that they kind of go rolling through as mm-hmm. I pick one out, whatever, whichever one's apropos for the day and start writing something up on it. Wow, that's awesome. So you always have you always have this list of content to pull from. I love it. It's fun. I mean, it, between new news and and existing stuff. Like, I mean, today's post was just all right. So we're gonna do a transformation Tuesday, and let's look back. All right, we'll go three years. And there was a really good. You know, I looked at myself in that picture, and I was able to talk about it because I really remembered and it resonated how I felt three years ago when I first came out at that conference and some of the nervousness and things. And I thought, man, maybe other people will appreciate hearing this aspect of the story. Mm-hmm. You know, I sit here and do conference calls all day long and, and you're on video chat or whatever, but you can always see the list of participants. And that's one thing that's like, oh, this person's here and this person's here and this person, you know, mm-hmm. it's it's fun and more engaging when you can talk. You know, I had that conversation with her before and she's here. So mm-hmm. Um, so Andy, when did you first realize that you were different, you know, looking back on your life, you know, as a child and whatever, what were the breadcrumbs for you that, uh, being the gender you were born, wasn't quite right for you. So there were, there were aspects of that when I was six years old, um, that I remember realizing that something just wasn't right. I didn't feel right. Um, having to play this gender role. I didn't know what it was. And I grew up in very, very rural Huntsville, Alabama. So in the mountains of the Appalachians, which is in the Southeast and and just very country for folks who aren't familiar with Alabama or how kind of rural it is. But, um, it was just not a lot of information, very Bible belt, um, type stuff. We were in the church every time the door was open and I, I think I'd probably seen maybe a talk show or something where I'd heard about it or Christine Jorgensen or something like that. We went to the library and I went straight to the floor that had 
all of the nonfiction on it. And I found a couple of books and I was like, that's it. And I went home, we had a set of encyclopedias and, and I found the word transsexual in the encyclopedia. And it so described how I was feeling, even at that age. And, and I just, I knew it yeah. and it resonated with me to the point where I actually wrote about it in my diary um, when I was very, very little, because it was something that was really important. And as I grew up, you know, I would go off into the mountains and I would paint my nails and I wasn't aware that acetone was a thing. So I would take a knife and scrape the nail polish off and just do whatever I could early on because there's just something that, that felt right about that. I told my parents when I went to college, I actually hated high school, such a popularity contest, but yeah, <laughs> I, I wasn't, it, it was just awful. And, and I wasn't me and I wasn't able to be me. So I dropped out of high school a year early. I went straight to college um, at Auburn that fall and then told my parents I needed some help. And they sent me to a conversion therapist. So didn't go well. That probably set me back another 15 or 16 years until my eventual egg cracked. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm sorry, the, the conversion therapy, was that something that, that you kind of got into yourself or were you pushed that direction? Oh, I was pushed. So I asked for... I wanted a psychiatrist. I wanted someone that would help assess me and, and tell me what the problem was and, and give me treatment, whether it be transition or whatever. Um, but I obviously thought transition would be awesome at the time, but it yeah. wasn't something that, you know, I wasn't convinced that I had to or needed to do that or that it was even possible. Uh, instead, they sent me to a Southern Baptist psychologist that um, listened to me for an hour. I'll never forget the second floor of this building sitting in this chair talking, I mean, just laying all of my problems out from, you know, everything that affected me as far as being trans and writing things up. And then he shut the book after an hour and started preaching and telling me how it was all wrong, how every bit of the feelings that I had were sins and, and, you know, God didn't want that. And he really, really pressed to get me back in there on a regular schedule and continue to parrot the same thing to me. And I just stopped. I, I couldn't do it anymore. I didn't want to do it. I wasn't interested in it. It's not what I needed. I needed a real psychologist. Yeah, it's so important. So when were you able to finally find somebody to, to talk to that understood you and actually helped you and, and helped you work through things that you were going through? Well, that kind of came... <clears throat> well, I when I first met my wife, I told her that there was something different about me. But... Um, when we went off in 2014 to a Lady Gaga concert um, in Atlantic City, we were able to go the night before and get our nails done at a nail place and then dress up and, and go, you know, as females to this concert. And it was such a high for me and such a complete rush that I was over the moon elated. I didn't want to take any of that off that night or the next day. And that's when really depression set in. And depression affected me for the next year and a half where there was just no moving past this. I thought it was something that I could cope with and continue to deal with, but it got to the point where I wasn't going to be able to deal with it on my own. And I said, I need some help. I've got to go find somebody. And my wife went with me. So we both went and we saw a psychiatrist in Atlanta. He was a transgender man in 2015. Um, he helped us work through some of the early issues we were having. I was wanting to wear makeup to things um, too much. You know, I wanted to have painted nails as we would go do different things. It was just little things that would satiate me that didn't. I mean, it, it really affected her and, and the way mm. people were seeing and viewing us. So 
we were able to make some compromises there early on. And that was probably just a really saving grace um, early on in the transition is having someone else, an effective third party, but a psychologist that was helping us uh, work through those issues. Like I said, it's so important, especially when you're in a relationship and, and the other your partner is kind of struggling with it. Um, so how did the how did the Lady Gaga concert come about? Where um, you that you both agreed that you would go presented completely on femme? We were huge fans of Gaga and always have been. But you know, when she did her Born This Way tour and even included trans people in some of those, it was like she's she's the one. She is amazing, and we loved her music. So we had gone to concerts. Um, local concerts of hers before but again i was traveling a lot i still i mean up until last march i traveled a lot and i happened to be in dc for something so i planned a trip for that weekend and i had been planning this for six months this was something where she was okay with it as long as we weren't in the city of atlanta and didn't have the potential of running into somebody that we knew we got out of town and we went away and did it and we we planned these cat suit outfits and i posted it on instagram before i was I'm really embarrassed by the pictures that I took back then and the wig and everything that I had on, but I still had the time of my life. It was just, we had floor tickets there and, and I had like six inch heel boots and just crazy stuff that was just amazing to kind of get away from the day-to-day -day farm life that we lived and the fray that we were around and just completely separate ourselves from all of that and just kind of do our thing for a weekend. And and she was on board with that, but then when, once you started to kind of do more of it in in regular life, um, that was where it kind of became an issue for her. Yeah, then I mean, it, you know, I, it, if we back up to when I first met her, I told her, and, and I've talked about this before. I told her within the first few weeks of having met her um, over at my house one day, she came over, and he said, "There's something you need to know about me. There's something that that's different." And I'm not sure what it is, but it's something that I think I can live with, but I need to tell you. And mm -hmm. I did. Um, and she left. And she said, that's not something I can deal with. I don't think I can handle that. And she left. Um, and I was devastated because it was like, well, this is it. I'm never going to find anybody. Yeah. It was my one shot. Yeah. But 15 minutes later, she showed back up and she said, you know, I thought about this and it's not something that... I want to, I don't want to throw away an entire relationship over something like that. So I think this is something we can work through. It's something we can deal with. And at the time, neither one of us thought I would transition. It was just something we could deal with. And we mm -hmm. did deal with it for years and years, but it wasn't until the Gaga concert, when we got to go away and get together like that, that really depression started setting in from that point forward. Mm. So yeah, what were the, the the next steps in your relationship? So you you found you found the the therapist shortly thereafter that, and you started to be able to kind of express things here and there, kind of um, sort of like you put out fires, like yeah, <laughs> here, there here, were little little there quick bandaid on this. We had, I think, part of that was our kids went to a private school. Um, the area that we lived in didn't. They had strict policies. Their everyone didn't have good public schools. So we sent them to a private school, and that was really our only option. But they had in their bylaws that, you know, the kids couldn't present as a gender that was different than what was listed on their birth certificate at birth or 
their parents couldn't present as a different gender from something. And they also didn't let um, people from lesbian, gay, bisexual families in the school either. Like all of that was forbid because it was, you know, ungodly. So transitioning was not something that I could ever be public about or I could ever talk about. I couldn't have a public Instagram account. I didn't have any pictures out of me anywhere, mostly because of the school that our kids went to. And it was not something that I necessarily wanted to dive into at the time. It it ultimately led to us moving away from the state and, and moving to Florida and kind of starting all over again in a new school district in a new place. But back then, um, you know, I got to, I did a lot of video editing. They asked me to come shoot some stuff at the school. So I shot some plays. And once I kind of started transitioning, most of those were all of those requests effectively went away. So they stopped asking me to do anything anymore. It was clear that they had an idea that something was going on. Mm. I didn't really want to admit it. We had gotten a a rogue text message that said, what's Andy going to do for the father-daughter dance? And it went to my wife by accident. It was supposed to go to a different Jessica. So those (laughs) things were... What's Yeah. It, it it was by it's crazy that that message actually came through like that and, and we saw it because they couldn't figure out why they would send that to her but it turns out later that that message was actually sent as an accident and they meant that to be more harmful as they were joking amongst themselves about me so mm-hmm. it is what it is but i did use um like i would have my nails painted at you know our son's football game or just a, some foundation or something on that would cope with it as we worked through that process until ultimately in late 2016, um, I said, I'm going to be 40 soon. I need to do something about this. I can't continue living like this anymore. I talked to my wife about it and I said, would you care if I started hormones? And she said, if you do, I don't want to know about it. So (laughs) it was kind of tough for me. We talk about everything. But I did go talk to the psychiatrist after that. I got a letter and started hormones um, before, right when I turned 39. And from that point forward, for probably eight or nine months, I was taking hormones and with a, a number of other medications. So I would take hormones with everything else, and it left everything out in plain sight. But it took a good eight or nine months before she finally said, are you taking hormones? And I said, yes, I am. I'm dying to tell you, but you didn't want to know. So, uh-huh. Yeah, that, that's a really tough period there. A don't ask, don't tell sort of a thing. Oy. Right. Um, so what was her reaction once she's, uh, so I'm assuming she started noticing changes. And what was her general reaction to that? You know, I don't know. She did. I mean, she may have noticed some changes, but when you live with each other, um, changes are Gradual. The gradual changes yeah. are harder to notice. And that was one of the things that I'm not entirely sure she noticed. But the year itself, um, early in my transition, was pretty rocky. I had I started HRT in November. And then by March, I came out at work. I talked to my director about it. And we um, set up some meetings a couple months later with all of the groups that the, the different programs that I manage and in the ones in DC and Atlanta and then the other leadership team um, and had discussions around like trans one, what is it? And I was able to start dressing as me going to work. Um, but I wasn't ready to wear dresses yet. But later that summer I was, and I, I know this is going to eventually segue into um, an ally conversation, um, both at work and at home. 
and, and I'm happy to talk about that too. But really, 2017, um, I had a friend that helped me through a lot of this at home. And she was getting married that year and asked us both to, we were good friends of hers, but asked my wife and I to be bridesmaids in her wedding. Mm-hmm. With the only caveat that it had to be a navy dress. And my wife was like, no way. You cannot wear a dress to this wedding. And I hadn't really worn dresses around her before. It was just not something that she wanted at all. But the bride wanted me to. So um, I went looking for some dresses. I looked at some pantsuits and stuff. And ultimately just decided on a dress because I had been wearing dresses for a couple months at that point. And and I thought it looked a little bit better. you know, big surprise, nothing really big happened at the wedding. Nobody cared. Nobody thought it was a big deal. Um, most of the folks that knew me knew I had transitioned anyway. So we worked through that. But again, each one of those little things caused a rough patch in our relationship because it's not something that she wanted and it was something that I wanted and we, something that we worked through. Mm, okay. Were you able to do, just a side note, tangent on that wedding, um, I saw a photo. Were you able to do makeup at the wedding for other people? I was, yeah. So because I'd been doing it for so long, um, I got to do the brides. Well, the whole thing was I was going to do the bride's makeup. She had wanted that for forever. She had always wanted me to do her makeup. So mm. I had a couple practice sessions before that. We went to Sephora. We found you know, the right foundation for her. And then on that day, I got to do her makeup. And it was magnificent i had so much fun but not only that i did my wife's makeup i did um some of the other bridesmaids makeup too so i mean pretty much everybody in the bridal party except maybe one or two ladies i did their makeup because it was everybody's like wow and it's not something that that i just do it was just something i was doing for her and something that i enjoy so i had a good time doing it then of course was my makeup that was a whole nother thing well that's so amazing um how how did that day go for you and your wife? Was there a lot of tension throughout the day? Was there a point where she kind of got on board and was okay? Um, yeah, I think um, certainly alcohol helps with, <laughs> with those things. Um, it's some, it doesn't always help, but in some cases it does. And okay. I think to the extent that it can relax your nerves. Once, you know, just like with a lot of different things, once you get past the initial shock, um, things kind of calm down. And I'll relate this to, I had an MRI yesterday. And for people who have had an MRI before, I was it was a knee MRI. And you lay on this table and you go up to this tube and it's super claustrophobic. At least it was for me. Mm-hmm. And she started rolling me in this thing. And I was like, um, how far are you putting me in this? Because I'm not. And she's like, no, that was it. But I was terrified at the start. But once I got used to it, after like a minute, I was like, okay, I'm not going to get forced in this thing. This is as bad as it's going to get. We're just going to go from here. And everything was okay. And that's kind of how that wedding was in that we were, you know, the initial shock, getting ready, getting dressed, getting the hair done, all those things. There was a whole day full of pictures and, and part, you know, reception and the whole thing. So the, the first part was, it was tough to get past. But after that, and once it was over, things were, things were better. Wonderful. Did yeah, did that make it easy for you to like wear dresses or present more and more regularly? There was so and from from that aspect, I had I didn't really start wearing dresses until that summer. And the wedding was a fall wedding, but um I had started maybe in June or July. Um I had some dresses and the first time I came out of the closet in one, 
she looked at me and she said, are you really going to wear that? <laughs> and I was like, oh, man, you don't even know. I just psyched myself up to walk out of the closet in this. I've got to get a I've got a huge hurdle that I've got to jump over just to walk outside in this and to get in the car and to walk in the office. This is terrifying to me. And now you're scaring me. Oh. So I did make it past that and I made it past that hurdle. And once I started wearing dresses, I never went back I never wore even women's slacks again. That was it. It was always dresses from that point forward. Hmm. So the wedding wasn't as much of a shock from that point. But we'll fast forward to that December. We were invited to a Christmas party okay. and they I was like, these are some conservative people. And I was thinking I should probably not go too loud, like with a dress and, and a whole bunch of makeup and stuff to this party. I'm going to try and keep it kind of calm um, and, and just take it easy. And so I put on, you know, a top and some pants and I came out and she's like, eh, I don't know about that. And I put on a different top and came out and then, you know, a few different things and maybe a longer shirt, whatever. And then finally, I just went back in and I put a dress on and she's like, yep, that's it. That's what you need to wear. And that was it. So, I mean, yeah. that was really her call six months after being completely shocked that I was even going to wear a dress outside to it's a dress. It needs to be a dress. You need to wear a dress. And that was it moving forward from that point forward because dresses had been normalized and there wasn't a big explosion or horrible event or reaction that happened uh -huh. because everything was normal. It was okay from that point forward. Oh, that's great. <laughs> so someone said about time, um, Rosa said that her, her private school had the, the kind of rules that yours had. And they actually sent out agents to your selected church to make sure your family were there on the weekend. You know, hearing, and, and I'm not going to dive into Rose's personal life, but hearing some about her dad, and it just does not surprise me at all, knowing what she went through as she grew up. So mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a wonder that she turned out to be who she is today. And <laughs> from Alicia's perspective, you know, I, I can't say that, that every relationship I mean, it, it, I think that it's probably pretty few relationships that actually survive um, a spouse transitioning. I haven't seen actual statistics on it. I think at one point I saw something like 10%, but it was really small. So it's statistically unlikely for a spouse, especially of a long-term relationship, to actually be able to survive that. So the, 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 the ones that do, what you see in a lot of those is really open communication, you know, open communication from the start. Everybody's open about their feelings. There's no other ancillary issues, and it's going to be, for us, it, it's going to be rocky for a period of time. You know, there's a conversation that happened, and, and someone asked my wife, they said, hey, if you had known this about Andy when you first met him, would you have still married him? And her answer was no, because at the time, had she known that I would have transitioned one day, she wouldn't have married me. And that's something, it's profound on a lot of levels. But as you look at it, as relationships evolve and people evolve and things change and, and you grow closer to each other, you know, it, a transitioning spouse isn't always as bad as what you might think of it in your mind. And for me, I've always given space and said, listen, you know, I know I'm doing this, that I'm bringing this in. If this is not something that works for you, then let's figure it out and let's talk about it. And it's never been um, it's never been a substantive issue that 
has thrown up an, an actual roadblock or problem in our relationship. It's always been something we could work through. There's perception issues. As you look around and like, what does this friend think? And what does that friend think? And what do these people think over here? And yeah. are they not inviting us to their house because I'm trans? You know, what, you know, what we hear about this party over here that we didn't get invited to, but yet we got invited to this one. And so you tend to overanalyze all those situations. And I can say that all of that changed when we moved to Florida and sold the farm because we were away from that initial friend group that we had been around for so long. And we started fresh with a new set of friends down in Florida with no one that really, I mean, if you talk to me and we have conversations, I'll talk about being trans, but I don't talk about that to anybody else. And a simple Google search would tell you that if you really wanted to know that about me. But for the most part, I just want to live my life as who I am and who I present. So that's one of the things that um, we managed to work through. The move was super critical for making that happen and getting us out of the environment that we were in with the with the private school and in the risk of our kids getting kicked out and the whole thing and coming down here and going to a public school has just been monumental. And there's a whole new set of friends and a whole new group of people that don't care. Nice. So um, your new circle of friends, did you um, introduce yourself to begin to begin with as this new out Andy? I've always been, ever since we moved down here, I've been this new Andy. Um, because I was for two years before we moved. Um, it was, I well, not two. This is about a year and a half. So I transitioned about a year and a half before we moved down here. It's, so I was never, I'd never gone back to be that other person. I mean, not for three and a half years now, three and a half, four years now. But um, that was one of the, the things about moving down here is I didn't want to announce to everyone that I was trans. People can figure that out on their own. They can figure that out through interactions and talk. Mm -hmm. um, but my wife hasn't been and has never been crazy about the lesbian label. So she didn't want to be, and she knew that people would think that when they saw us as a couple. And so with her first few friends that she met down here, she told them I was trans. And it was tough. It was tough for me because I didn't really want to come down and, and start broadcasting that I was trans to everybody. Mm -hmm. But it was something that helped her so that she wouldn't get labeled. And, and, you know, for her, from her perspective, that's fine. It's, she's not, she's never been a lesbian. That's not been her thing. And that's not something that she wanted people to attribute to her. Um, yeah. And I think she gets a lot of credit for sticking with me in the relationship and, and not leaving. I mean, she easily could have and easily and gone and found somebody else, but she didn't want to. That's not something that she wanted to do, but she also doesn't want to be labeled. It takes a, a, a lot of courage. It takes just a lot of really good personal strength. And I think just, just a, a, a great perspective on the world and what is really important to be able to, to stay through that. And I, uh, you know, yeah, your, your wife is amazing. Any wife that is willing to, to stick through it is, you know, is worth the weight in gold because it is, they are, it is, it is that it's absolutely not um, an easy move at all. And I'll say to just to, to finish that up that, you know, years down the road here, I say that we were a couple of years into this now, she doesn't tell anybody. And I can say that too, when we first moved down here, she still hadn't changed pronouns. She was still saying he and him um, around other people. I, kids were still calling me dad at that point too. And it was something that I, I sat them down and I said, I, you know, I don't care what you call me. 
But when we're not in the house, I need you to call me something else. I need you to pick anything else out other than dad. And they said, we call her mommy, so we'll call you mom. He said, that works for me. And But I didn't want to encroach on her uh-huh. mommy. And I looked at her and I said, listen, if that's not good. And she's like, no, that's fine. I don't care. That, that, that works. Um, I can be mommy and you can be mom. So that meant a ton to me moving forward, too. And it really helped a lot later because they just call me mom all the time now. And it doesn't necessarily out me everywhere we go. And even now, there's a there's a, a thing on Facebook and, and we were talking about whether or not we were going. And I was joking about um, maybe. And she told me last night, someone up, someone came up to the gym and her and said, hey, what's wrong with your wife? Why is she in the maybe column? And to get to the point where she's okay with someone referring to me as her wife has taken years, but she's there now and she's okay. But it's not something that happens overnight. It's not something that I ever pushed. I never asked for pronoun changes. It's just something that she did and something that she did on her time when she was comfortable with. And it feels great now. And she tells me about every interaction where people mm. use female pronouns because I love to hear it. So, And she knows that. Nice. Yeah. So not, not only is she, um, is she an ally for you and she's supporting you, but she's kind of advocating and, and like, Hey, look, look at these places where it's working for you. That's great. That's wonderful. Very um, much. So how, for other aspects of coming out, how did um, you tell your family and how did that go? Um, the family part was uh, it, a little different. When I first talked to my mom about that, they had obviously known my entire life because we had that conversion therapist and and they knew through throughout my childhood that this is something that I had affected me, but they were, my dad was just pushing masculinity on me and saying, (laughs) you know, you haven't even slept with a girl yet. How do you even know? And, you know, I mean, all this just like in religious Bible belt talk as you could get, but still, you know, you need to get married and and you can figure all this out later. You don't need to be thinking about this now. (laughs) Um, But as, what was the question? (laughs) Just how um, you came out to family and then how they reacted and and accepted it. So they knew. Um, And we kind of, we talked through that, but I I had conversations with my mom um, early on when I was first transitioning and, and told her, that I was trans and she is like nurse practitioner, doctor of nursing, PhD, all this, I mean, she's been in school half her life. And I thought she would be more understanding. And she said, think of it if your father, think of it as if your father was an alcoholic, you would love him, but you wouldn't support what he's doing. And that was from that point forward, I said, you know, if that's what you think about me and that's what you think about this, I'm not going to be able to sway or change that. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't really talk to my dad that much. So it's from that point forward, I I, I just kind of, you know, did the holiday happy birthday kind of communication and and just kind of really slowed down any calms that we were having. We didn't live in the same state anyway, but that really hurt. So um, I knew they weren't going to be supportive. You know, from my wife's family side, there's there's, there's a whole mess that went on there um, with lawsuits and, and payments and stuff and um, a lot of direct conversations about how we were living in sin and we were 
warping our children and how bad this was going to be for them and um, how they needed help and we needed to divorce because this isn't a marriage. This is just a friendship and you need to live in separate houses. And I mean, just on and on. Um, They had that conversation three times with us. And ultimately, um, it kind of backfired because it drove my wife closer to me rather than sort of separating us to the side that her then parents wanted her to. And at this point, we do not talk to them at all, except for conditions that were set out in a settlement in a lawsuit. And that's it. I mean, there is no communication outside of that. So from an immediate family perspective, I I don't have anything on her side, um, sisters, brothers-in-law. And then, you know, from my side, um, my, my sister said, I don't want to expose my children to you. So I don't have any communication from that side either. I mean, it's really just the nuclear family here. And then we've got um, some aunts um, that are supportive up in Wellfleet, Massachusetts. And I've got a great cousin that's supportive in Atlanta. So there's a couple pockets of, of folks here and there. There may be some people in Nashville um, that have at least kept talking to me. But outside of that, um, most of the family family is just not okay with it at all. And that's... Um, there's been stories and things, but I've avoided funerals and other aspects just because I'm not welcome at those places. Mm. Well, that's terrible. But it 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 kind of goes back to you know how wonderful it is that your your wife is stuck with you and how important that bond is and what you have together and that you've both decided that you being you and living the life that you need to live is more important than everything else and 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 that's pretty wonderful. Again, super rare and and. Yeah, I'm really impressed with that. There's a lot of aspects here that have been really interesting. If nothing turned out, you know, if you had asked me 10 years ago, if this happened, how do you think it would turn out? Nothing turned out how I would have thought that it would have turned out. Mm-hmm. So the, especially from the familial perspective, I thought that maybe there would be a little bit more support, but it's it's just not there. And that's fine. I've come to terms with that. I came to terms with that really quickly and moved on. And, you know, you can have some great friends around and, you, obviously, I still have my nuclear family here that's been amazing and wonderful. So those kind of things have helped me through. And I'm very privileged from that perspective to have at least that part of support near me um, that a lot of people don't get. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're getting some comments in the chat about people coming out to their kids and trying to come up with names for what to call them. Um, some are still being called dad. And usually that's OK. But, you know, out in public, like you said, where it, it calls you out and calls attention to you um, is where they, they struggle. And, you know, very much. I mean, I, I think the bathroom thing is a big one where you know, your daughter's yeah. like, uh, you know, come with me to the bathroom. And you're like, uh, you cannot call me dad in the bathroom. That is not, <laughs> we really need to work on that. So mm. those are things that can be scary moments. And it's not just that you're, you're in, you know, out amongst friends and they're the next aisle over and they're like, dad. And then you've got this person staring at you down the aisle and, and now you're outed, you know, in Target or whatever. It's it, it can be rough. So I I recommend coming up with something, anything else other than a gender specific um, pronoun or name that you can use. I mean, mm-hmm. I've heard Maddie. I've heard all kinds of, of fun kind of stuff in the middle, especially if you don't want to step on the toes. And then, you know, you look at like cis lesbian couples too. And and we had a doctor and some good friends of ours that um, treated our horses and they had a daughter named Emma and 
I was like, well, what, who, you know, who answers when you hear mom or mommy? And they're like, you know, we're both mommy. So, I, I mean, I guess in some cases it works that way too. So you, um, uh, you know, in the whole coming out thing, you alluded to work and um, it sounded like that re went really well and was just kind of formulaic and, and just laying things out. It did. And I've had a lot of, um, I've been able to drive a lot of things um, through the DNI office where I work too. But, you know, initially I, I, I had like had my eyebrows done or I would come in with, you know, just a little bit of makeup on or something. And some folks would notice no one really said anything. And eventually I said, <clears throat> you know, I talked to my director and I said, can I, can we chat? And she was like, Oh no, what's going on? And I was like, mm -hmm. well, I'm trans. And she's like, what can I do for you? What, how can we make this easier? And I was like, Oh, so oh, great. Oh. Um, you could get a bathroom that is gender neutral. Cause that'd be awesome. So they set out touch facilities. They had one built within six months. Now I, I didn't wow. use it because I had transitioned um, long before that. I was just using the female restroom before it was actually ready. But had it been there while I was transitioning, it would have been awesome because it was very difficult um, trying to go downstairs into like the the lobby bathroom or or going to just holding it, whatever, getting UTIs because of that and not having you know the proper facilities, but. Within a couple of months of that, um, we engaged the DNI office and did some trans one on one training that that I was able to influence just a smidgen as we talk through that and then answer people's questions that they had. And since then, I have done probably fifteen or twenty other trans one on one sessions for transitioning employees in the organization um, because I love talking about the the subject material and informing people that are interested and then answering questions as people have it. So I've been really engaged in the DNI office. And one of the things that we were able to pull off, I sat down with the director of benefits and I said, you purposefully exclude VFS, FFS, um, mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of stuff, breast augmentation as cosmetic. And WPATH doesn't recommend that. If you look at the HRC guidance, um, for the corporate equality index, you know, they're going to start dinging companies who don't do that. This is something we should probably get on board. And within two years, in fact, starting January 1st, now all of those procedures are covered and they're not cosmetically excluded, which has been just an amazing change. And a lot of what we're seeing in corporate America with companies like Starbucks and Bank of America and Wachovia and just companies all over the place that that do um, cover those procedures, we're just starting to see that more and more in the federal contractor space too. Mm -hmm. oh, that's wonderful. And it's it's so great to be able to have such a strong influence on that, to have to, you know, have that because of your activism. It's great that people listen. I mean, I, I'm, I'll talk all day long about stuff. If, if you have questions, this, the director of benefits had a call for our, um, the LGBTQ plus organization that we had inside. And people were peppering her with questions um, for procedures that she didn't know anything about, even though, I mean, it's just not something that had been on her radar. And after that, I reached out and I said, hey, I'd love to come up there and talk to you about all these things and explain to you why they're important and why people are asking about them. And she said, sure, you know, come on up, let's talk. Mm -hmm. And I did. And, and I think that course of events helped shape that. And, you know, a few other things where that I had some conversations and folks were listening, the right people were listening that set you know a course of events when they look at when any company looks at being competitive on a global you know market space or you know, 
companies that are having problems getting cleared people and, and all kinds of staff in, you know, you want to differentiate yourself and say, hey, here's why we're better. Well, look, you know, trans people, we're not a large percentage of people, but you can say that we care about our employees so much so that we've changed things and we've become even more inclusive here. And that's why you want to work at this company and not that company over there. So yeah. these things, these little things differentiate you and, and can go a long way. Yeah, um, it is really important. And uh, especially, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's of growing importance as more people are coming out and running into the workplace and trying to find, you know, where they can, where they can be comfortably. You know, I recently lost my job and I have a friend who's who's unemployed and both of us were talking recently. It's like, you know, I came out at a company that I had been at for, you know, 13 years, I think uh, yeah, 11 or 12 years at that point. And um, so, I mean, I had so much comfort there because I, I knew everybody there, um, you know, but but the the prospect of going to a new company um, is is a little daunting and it's huge. Yeah. And, and, you know, being able to find a company like that, that has those policies in place and kind of puts them out there on the front line of, of, you know, when they're talking about themselves, like that's really important and that's great. And I'll say this too. I mean, in any organization, it, it takes years to, you know, affect change and, and to get into the right, you know, social groups that are inside the organization that, that can impact that change. Um, you have yeah. to develop those relationships and, and that can take a while, but it can be well worth the effort. And, and for folks that, you know, may work at different companies and, and can get some influence in on the right people, I highly recommend having those conversations. Just step outside of your comfort zone and, and jump in there and see a need somewhere and mm -hmm. see if you can fill that gap. And those things can affect long-term change. And so never be quiet and do it in a respectful way where you're carrying out, you know, respectful conversations and things professionally that people ask for. And, and you can take those very, very far. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We got some advice early on in the show from somebody that was talking about, um, you know, if that doesn't exist in your company or you don't have the courage to do it yourself in your company, put together a group, find other people like you, you know, an LGBT yeah. group, just something, just people to talk, talk about, talk to. And then, um, in your conversations, maybe you come up with some of that stuff that's like, you know, what's, what should we do to make things more comfortable for all of us here? And then, you know, once you have some numbers behind you and then you can go to your HR people and say, Hey, we've got this kind of coalition. And these are some of the things that we think that again, like you, you framed it, you know, these things are going to, to be, we're going to get docked for this stuff in, in the, in the future. It's going to be important. And the quicker we can get on board with this, the quicker we can get ahead of this, the better we'll look all that kind of good stuff. So there's lots of, there's lots of ways of phrasing it and ways of kind of bolstering, bolstering your argument. But you know, if you, as I said, if you don't have the courage to do it yourself, find other people and start to kind of build a little community within your company. Um, or if your company is that small, find others in other companies and just like maybe have lunches here and there. I mean, once we're back to, normal life again but right um but yeah and then and find out what they're doing and how they're talking to their their hr team or whatever and then then you know approach that there's certainly ways to develop those relationships in, in any company and to to work through those it's it's scary when you first join a new company and you don't have those relationships from the start but you're right seek it out find it out i'm sure there could be employee resource groups and other things there's one of the things that I, you know, even talked about with Stacy and, and some others, Darlene, 
um, was conferences and speaking at conferences. And I've submitted several abstracts and, and done quite a few speaking engagements at conferences too. And that's another great place to meet people. It's a great place to stay on the forefront of what's happening in the LGBTQ plus space too. Mm. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about um, the the issues or, or the concerns that family members, your spouse, the community have had and things like that. And it's been from this, this perspective of you knowing yourself and needing this. And it's, you've, you've sounded really confident. What were the fears that you had when you were going through all of this? What were the issues that you had that you had to overcome? My biggest fear from the start is I don't want to look like a linebacker in a dress. And we kind of touched on this a little bit in that I think my, my earliest fear was that I would never pass. And you knew that's, that, that has varying degrees of importance for different people. Um, but for me, it was something that, that I considered at the time to be extremely important because I didn't want to live my life dealing with not passing one day. I thought I looked at that as a potential. And I thought that's just not a place that I want to be. Mm -hmm. I, I want to, you know, I've got to be able to do it. But ultimately, no one can tell me that no one could tell me if I would ever pass or not, or how I would ever look. And I started down that trajectory, really not knowing what the eventual outcome was going to be and not knowing where I would be. And I've talked about this some um, on posts in that, as I progressed, and as I transitioned, that fact, I mean, that, you know, quality, I guess you would say, became less and less important to me. It wasn't, it, it was something that, that I still thought about from time to time. And obviously, I'm going to make an effort, I'm going to present myself as best I can, as much as I, I can, to conform to the gender identity that I know that I have on the inside. So I'm definitely going to put the effort into there. But if it doesn't pan out, I'm not going to get upset about it. It's not going to be it's not going to end my life mm. because I'm not going to let that control me. And that mm. was one of the things that I think I eventually came to terms with is I thought it was so important and such a big thing to me from the start. But once I started transitioning and once I went through it, it became something that kind of sat in the background because I don't have any control over that. It's yeah. absolutely out of my control. I can put in the best effort that I have and I have no control over how other people are going to assess me. And if I spend my life worrying about what other people think about me and how other people think about me, then my life is going to be miserable. And mm. I had to come to terms with that and move on. Mm. And it is what it is. So this is me, just like I said today. I mean, take it or leave it. This is who I am. And that's how I'm, and that's how I'm going to be. Yeah. I struggled a lot. And I don't think I do so much anymore, really. But um, yeah, that, that same thing, you know, you, you have that kind of dude in a dress syndrome of like, that's what you that's what you fear. And um I think what it was for me, I can't even really put my finger on it. I think it's just the normalization. Once you get to a certain point of you've yes. worn skirts and dresses so much, you've done the makeup thing, it becomes part of your routine. It just normalizes and um, you, like you said, you worry less about what you look like um, from that perspective because you can't control what other people think of you and you just like do i look like what i want to look like today when i'm putting yeah. myself together and heading out the door as long as you can focus exactly on that then, right you know it just it gets easy it gets easier and the the part where uh, you touched on something great the the confidence perspective of that when you're first starting out 
you don't often have the confidence to engage in those social interactions and to sit and have those conversations. And because you don't have the confidence, you show up as awkward and then people start suspecting things and you end up circling back into a place where you really shouldn't be. And it's unfortunate because you need that confidence to move forward and present as you are without reservation. And the more confident you are, the less people are going to guess and try and judge you as you work through those because, hey, you're presenting as this confident person who knows who they are and knows what they want and knows how they are in conversations. I had, I, it I flew a lot and I sat beside a guy. I've sat beside a lot of guys. Um, I get upgraded a lot and some of them want to talk. And, and this one guy was just talking to me just on and on. He owned this car dealership and went through this whole thing. And um, I <laughs> later, it, like, it must have been 45 minutes into the story. I don't know where I was flying but I thought this guy was never going to shut up. <laughs> and he started talking about um, how HR has to be involved in everything now. And when he runs his company and he's like, yeah, you got those damn transistor people out there. And I was, <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny. And it's so ironic to an extent because you look at that, like, wow, he's insulting me, uh-huh. but he doesn't know that he's insulting me because yes. he would never have said that to me if he had known that I was, trans or one would think that he wouldn't say that or he'd at least attempt to get the so inadvertently he's actually complimenting you yeah in a way he was complimenting me it was a very sort of backhanded kind of compliment you know this is one of those things that i was i'll never forget that conversation because he said those damn transistors out there you know you gotta watch out for everything going and, and it's just funny he had he must have had no idea that i was trans and it's only things like that that you can take in your mind and feel affirming with I had, I was going up an elevator in the airport and this lady was just staring daggers through me. And I was in my favorite, like Calvin Klein purple dress. It was called Passport Plum. <laughs> Lipstick, the whole thing was working. And I was like, she must know. She's got to know. She's, she's clogging me and she's, she can tell. She's looking at me. And we stepped outside the elevator and she was like, excuse me. And I was like, oh gosh, what, where is this going? What is this lady going to say to me? She goes, I just want to tell you, I have never seen someone whose lipstick matched their dress so perfectly. <laughs> it's like, oh, thank you. That's so sweet. I really appreciate that. But that's not what was going through my mind at all during that entire interaction. I was thinking, she, God knows what this lady's going to tell me. And she said one of the sweetest things. I mean, I had nothing, uh-huh. lipstick, whatever. But it was just, it wasn't what I was thinking at all. So I would tell people going through life, don't assume the worst. In, in what people think of you or in these interactions as you're, you know, looking around the room and trying to assess what's happening here, our minds can quickly go to a dark place mm-hmm. and things the worst things. And oftentimes that is not the case at all. Yeah. I always tell people that I, I had that a lot, you know, when, uh, and, and it was during the, the, the beginning, of course. And at that time I was still kind of going back and forth. So I would still present yeah. in, in male cl- men's clothes sometimes. And I I finally made it a point to pay attention when I was wearing men's clothes at how people looked at me. And only when I did that and really paid attention to what everybody was looking at when I was just presenting as quote unquote normal. And it's just like, I get the same like sideways looks or people ignoring me or people like kind of having crappy looks on their face. And it's just like, oh, I guess that's just their faces because I thought it was me, you know, presenting that, you know, being trans, but it's just like people just have sour looks on their face a lot of time and it has nothing to do with you. Hmm. It really doesn't. It really, really doesn't. Um, so I've, 
hormones, surgeries, or other things that you've done, or um, you know, therapy, things like that. What's been the most self-affirming for you in uh, affirming your identity? I, I haven't done any surgeries, so there's really nothing to speak of there. Except I had LASIK 20 years ago, but that didn't have anything to do with this. So. <laughs> it's just uh, it's degraded at this point anyway, to the point where I need glasses. Um, wow. So I guess I would have to say hormones and HRT has been one of the better things. Although I I struggled for years to see how that was even doing anything to me. Um, I look and listen to other people and they're like, oh, you know what? I shrank and my feet shrank and my hands shrank and like all these far off things um, that I certainly wasn't seeing. And then even the stuff you were supposed to be seeing, like muscle mass diminishing and things of that nature just never happened for me. Mm. And I've talked about this before, too. I mean, I can do like you know, pick up a 65, 70 inch TV and install it hanging on a wall by myself still. Like I, I've been on HRT for four years and <laughs> I have not lost enough muscle mass to not be able to do something like that. So okay. I guess in some sense, I'm appreciative of it. But in others, I, I kind of question, what is it doing for me? How much is it doing for me? I don't know. Is it makeup and hair? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, And my last question for the night, for the, um, you know, for the to wrap up your story of being transgender, what advice do you have to pass on to young or closeted trans people out there? Yeah, so we kind of touched on that um, yesterday. And there, there's a lot of different things I could say, because I think, you know, I remember that time, and I remember the sort of the frustration, but um, I just, and this is probably cliche to death, but I, I have to say that you have to do what's right for you at a time that's right for you. No one else can make that decision for you. And no one else can push you into something that you're not ready for. And on the obverse side of that too, you have to come to the realization that you can't live your life to make everyone else happy all the time. Because if you try and do that, you're going to fail. You're never going to make everyone happy. I spent, you know, so much time in the closet trying to get this person to like me and trying to get this person to like me and, and doing everything I can just to be that that perfect person. And then eventually when dysphoria set in and it hit me that, you know, I'm trying to do this for all these other people. What am I doing to fix my problems? And and that's really something that you can't accelerate through. It's going to happen when it happens, if it happens. And when it does, you know, work through it and, and do the best you can. Open and honest communications with folks is something that's worked really, really well for me in the parts that it has. I mean, and then there are other parts that family and things that I'm not going to be able to influence and I'm not going to be able to change. There's nothing I can do about that. If that's their opinion and that's how they want to be, then that's fine. I have to accept that and move on and not worry about it. Yeah, that's great advice. Yeah, I just you got to do it for you. You got to do it for you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Transgender Show from the Transverse Network. Watch the full video version of the show live Tuesday nights at twitch.tv slash thetransverse and be sure to catch our slate of other great shows there as well. If you love what we're doing and want to support The Transverse, you can do so by visiting patreon.com slash thetransverse.